This is Mystic Takeaway, dishing up extraordinary real-life stories to inspire wonder and nourish the soul. I'm Elisa Graff. Today's episode features part two of my conversation with Rich Tyke of San Francisco. Good to have you with us. We do these outreaches wherever they have like psychic fairs, you know, in various places. I think it's common for, for people to do this. Um, so we had a, a booth at a, a psychic fair in San Jose, and this was back in November 2009, right around just maybe a couple of days before Thanksgiving. Um, and so the way we wrote this up, Ben usually likes a lot of detail for the, the Q&A. So we recollected or um, thought maybe if I were to describe him, I guess I could describe him in my mind. What what I actually saw was this was a variation on a on an image that Maitreya had manifested around the world on television. Um, in June of 1988, he appeared as a physical person in Nairobi, outside of Nairobi, to a group of thousands of people who were a part of a Christian healing uh, and and sermonizing. I guess by prayer group. Yeah, Mary Mary Akatsa was a healer and a teacher, a preacher, basically, fundamentalist preacher, and had a, a large following because she would do healings every time she'd have one of her events. Um, and so Maitreya used this as a, a way to make a physical presence because, you know, Benjamin Krem can say he, well, he appeared in 1977, he left his home in the Himalayas, and he was now in London. Um, but then there was no real tangible picture of him. So they used the opportunity in 1988, they seemed to like double digits. Um, to have a, a physical showing that um, eventually got onto the BBC and um, got on CNN. And these photographs were taken at this event of Maitreya um, talking to the people and, and, and doing some healing. He was six feet, three inches tall, Ben says. He's a very kind of a thin person. Um, he's supposed to be 33 years old. He's a very wise person. And the, the masters all have a similar kind of energy of of a profound love that comes out of them. And so, you know, when you read the the story that was written up in Share International, um, Maitreya was talking to the people, giving them encouragement, you know, saying that the blessing from heaven is coming, which was, was a rain that came down later. And um, he was doing a healing of the number of people there and saying, keep the faith, you know. So it's basically they, they give what, what does a teacher do? They know they, they try to give you, pep you up a little bit. They try to help you with energetically to feel um, your alleviation of suffering is what they, they all embody the energies of alleviation of suffering and whatever they're able to do to, to people. So he was reaching out to these thousands of people there, but at the same time, he's um, allowing his, his picture to be taken. And although Ben says, my trade doesn't wear white robes all the time, like in this picture, you know, but, to me, there would be resemblance. You know? <laughs> the masters can can wear whatever. Yes, you know, if he's living in the Pakistani community in, in London, he wears clothes that suit that, right? So, right. what I had the experience of what I had is that there was a person who was in the public, you know, looking at our booth, and um, he looked if the face looked like the face of Maitreya as he appeared in uh, Nairobi, but he was much squatter. Um, he was probably six inches okay. shorter and a little more bulky. So it's like you take the, the tall six foot three person and you squeeze them down 
not making them smaller. You know, <laughs> okay. you know I'm saying you're, you're, you're keeping the girth there, but you're making them shorter. <laughs> so okay. it's like he's okay. kind of squeezing down from the top, but not squeezing from the sides. And, but he had that same kind of look of um, there's a profoundness there. Um, and he was kind of watching us for a while and then came over. Now, now one thing that, that happened before this um, that was a world event for those people that were reading Share International was that Maitreya had gone to, this is what, what Ben was saying, that, that all the planets in the solar system are all working together on this plan, that the plan that's going forward on the Earth is not separate from support from all the other planets. Every All the planets work together. Um, all the hierarchies are working together. Right. Um, and so this is another example also of how the, the masters are very aware of of what humanity is doing on a very practical level. So 2009 was the 400th anniversary of Galileo's first use of the telescope in which he discovered the moons of Jupiter and the phases of Venus and a number of other celestial things that people were not able to see without a tiny telescope. So internationally, there's a lot of people interested in astronomy and there's an international organization for astronomy. And so, well, let's say they said, well, let's make a, a push for a year, an anniversary year for astronomy and really get a lot of publicity for it and make it the international year of astronomy for 2009. Um, starting at the beginning of 2009, people started to see and captured on video this large star wherever they were located in the world. And they started showing up on YouTube and they would do zoom ins on these stars and they would have geometrical patterns of light, different colors and changing colors. And they would be very unusual. People had not seen these. They didn't look like spaceships, but they just looked like these beautiful patterns of, of light, geometrical patterns of light. Um, and so it turned out that Maitreya had gone to the group that needs the council for the solar system and said, we would like to take advantage of this opportunity because a lot of people will be looking up and their telescopes and taking pictures of things. Right. Um, so can we have some help on this? If you could bring out some spaceships that kind of look like unusual objects that people might start talking about and ask, what, you know, what is this? You know, but obviously not too blatant, <laughs> uh, but subtle, but beautiful, you know, and conversation pieces. So this became the, the beginning of what we call the star. Um, and so people would see this, and if they were readers of Share International, they'd start looking for examples of the star around the world. People would be posting pictures or videos online, and then they would end up in Share International magazine. There were actually news reports all over the place about these was, things people yeah, were seeing unusual. all the time. I mean, yeah, if, start, you know, if things start showing up on YouTube and they start to get publicity, then they'll get picked up by the media. Isn't this similar to the star of Bethlehem? Isn't it basically um, also related in it, a sense to It could to be that a, the idea? star. Yeah, down through history, there's this idea that the stars can bring some news of new events, you know, that are known in the heavens and manifest there. Uh, comets are, were one that were always um, traditionally important. Um, or a, a nova. There's a very few cases of a nova where a star becomes suddenly very, very bright over a short period of time and everybody sees it, even during the daytime. Um, so, yeah. There's always been a tradition of looking to the heavens for portents of the future, that, that the heaven can show you something about what's going right. to happen here before it happens. You know, People are always interested right. in the future. What's going to happen in the future? <laughs> so the idea was to introduce right. this event that people would start talking about and start seeing and asking questions about what is it. It's unusual. Um, it's on videos. You can see it for, for anybody that's interested on the internet. Um, so that started in, in uh, the beginning of 2009. So this person came to 
the event and uh, he started talking to me and he said he had seen a video of the store on YouTube. So that was the intent, you know, to make um, this interesting event happen so that because YouTube is seen by people all over the world, that's how you can spread these things. Um, so then he said that I had mentioned some people thought Maitreya might be on TV in the next month. I'm not sure why I thought that, but maybe Ben, ben mentioned that. Um, and so he said, there is a window of opportunity open between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, this idea mm-hmm. of a window of opportunity is a term that Ben had introduced some time before in my transmission volume three, this is one of, one of his books, and there was a chapter called The Art of Waiting, w- called Windows of Opportunity. So Ben was saying that this, this nature of time, um, the time, there's illusory nature of time, and the way the masters see it unfold is these cycles. And the term he used in terms of the unfoldment of the plan is windows of opportunity. So Ben was trying to get people to always be um, looking for evidence Maitreya is about to come out or is coming, keep the group morale up because they're keeping them energized, looking for what's going to happen soon. You know? um, he said, well, Maitreya doesn't know the exact time he's going to be on television for this world appearance, but there are windows of opportunity that open up for his emergence to come. So um, when this person comes up and said that there's a window of opportunity going to open up between Thanksgiving and Christmas, well, nobody talks like that. <laughs> Did did you have a little light bulb go off in your head at that moment? You know, so you look up windows of opportunity and you realize that there's just because I I knew the term windows of opportunity. um, And he obviously knew that I knew the term windows of opportunity. The idea (laughs) is that there are, there are cosmic energies that come into humanity and, and there's times where humanity be more responsible to these new energies coming in. So that's a window of opportunity. Um, other times they might mm-hmm. a- expend some energy and there'll be no response because it's a deadened time, you know. So opportunities are always coming and going. And so the masters make use of these windows of opportunity whenever possible. So at that time, there was yeah. the, the world was in crisis in the environment. I think it was this 2009. And we're still in a much worse crisis of environment, but it was still big. Uh, the autonomy, the the war in Afghanistan, all these things were on people's minds. The crash, the crash had just happened a year before. The the Wall Street crash had taken place in 2008. So Mm -hmm. um, there was always this possibility, very remote, but possibility that um, something special would happen um, with this window of opportunity. So that was the question for Ben. And Ben's master said that confirms that the man was Maitreya. So not only that he would kind of look like Maitreya, but be modified in some way. But also that he would use this idea of window of opportunity yeah. between you know two holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So that was what what this experience was of Maitreya. Yeah. Um, it reminded yeah. me of another time period. <laughs> it didn't get written up, but a lot of people had similar experiences. Um, we went through a phase as a group when Maitreya and the masters were trying to teach people about not being afraid of homeless people. This was in the early two thousands. So mm-hmm. we went through a phase where um, Maitreya and the masters would, would appear as homeless people and very disheveled, down and out, asking for money, but giving you some kind of an experience um, with that so that your heart is opened about people who are suffering in the world in a special way. Yeah. Um, and even if you could give them a dollar, you know, the point was to give them something as a quarter 
as, as, as a lesson for yourself to learn to get over your fears. And the first time I had something like yeah. that. And also to be willing to share something, right? Because, I mean, we, most of us, it's about extending yourself a bit, exactly. right? Because there's a barrier. People have a barrier. And yeah. it's a very, you know, it's a, it's, it's a barrier, but it doesn't really, doesn't have to be anything to get through the barrier. I mean, you could, you could give somebody a quarter. Yeah. It gets you to, gets you through the barrier. Yeah. You know, um, or a dollar yeah. or something or yeah. $5. And even more when you put more of yourself behind that. Um, and that's a big, that's a major teaching. We have most of the people in the world now who just step over the homeless people. I know many cities are going through the issue right. about homeless people right now. Los Angeles is a, is a big one. It's been going on. In San Francisco, we have a big problem with the homeless people. Um, and so it's just for each individual to work through this barrier where you don't dismiss them from your mind. You look the other way. You step over them, you know, because you've now made them right. other. You right. know, they're, they're not there anymore in, in a consciousness. Right. But it also, if you have conscience, right. you know, it creates a state of tension in yourself, asking yourself, you know, why do I feel this way? Why am I doing this? So, so the masters are there to help. Um, they're right. working with the group. They they do this, I'm sure, on anybody who is potentially able to be awoken to this fact that they re reject homeless people. And, um, but the fact that they're associated with Benjamin Krem in the magazine, Share International, they could write in a story and, and get some com confirmation about what their experience was. Now, I didn't write this up, but to me it was so obvious. In San Francisco, um, I was coming out of a Walgreens on the corner of 6th and Clement, and there was a man there very well-dressed in a suit and tie. And he had a very large silver cross around his neck hanging down, maybe like, like about a foot tall, very big cross, but he was what cross, a silver cross, <laughs> you know, like get the message, silver cross. You know, there was a large church just down the block where they would feed the homeless or something. So, but this guy had mental problems. You could see where he was acting and so on. He had seemed to be having mental problems. And so he, I think he was asking for, something. And so that was the beginning of, you know, every time I happened to go by that neighborhood and near the Walgreens, this guy would be there. But the next time he was there, he was all disheveled. Um, he was acting out even more crazy. He was just sitting there uh, on the street or standing there, you know, looking really like he hadn't had a bath in months and something. So the fact that you have the first one where the guy is totally in a suit, um, Totally, you know, looking looking like he's just off of Wall Street or something, and this big silver cross, um, and then all the rest of them are this the same. Looks like the same guy, but he's totally disheveled. And if you ask him where he comes, he said, "Well, I was staying at the church down the street or something like that." So that's you know to get your attention the first time. This this person, yeah. If you see a homeless person, it's just a homeless person. If you see a guy in a suit and a big silver cross around his neck, but he looks kind of mentally disturbed. <laughs> That's the sign, yeah. you know. So um, after that, I began to, to think about the fact that every time you see a homeless person, well, you become proactive. You give them something, you know. You ask them if they'd yeah. like a cup of coffee, yeah. uh, something. So that was the way you can – and it's, people were having experiences like this and writing in that I had a homeless person and such an yeah. interaction with a homeless person. So that's how do you teach people you know you give them living examples of things that stick out in their experience right. if if they have the possibility that they might be reached you know by one of these manifestations right. to help them 
change their consciousness. Right. And people, there was a lot of people during the early 2000s that were writing in stories like this, interactions with homeless people and, and what it meant to them and how it was different and why it stood out and so on. So that's just an example of right. how the masters are working with anybody who's able to be reached about one of the major issues of the time. On Maitreya's messages, which he was giving out through Ben from 1977 to 1982, um, a, a lot of it was this, this sin of separation that people have. We have separation between right. countries, between groups in society, social separations between cultural groups. And we down at the single individual level where we have the separation. You don't even know the person. It's not that you have anything personally against them, but you're just programmed to try to right. avoid an interaction with somebody where you don't know what's going to happen. Are they crazy? Are they going to do something strange or crazy? You know. So um, those are the stereotypes that we've developed through our lives, keeping people apart from all these I guess, stereotypes. Or I guess it goes down through history where the, the poor have always been with us. You know, but um, it's not. Jesus was you know, yeah. associating himself with the poor and trying to show that there's there's no difference. You know, between human beings. I mean, Jesus was living. Right. I mean, one of the things Maitreya says, one of the quotes that I remember, Maitreya says, "Take your brother's need as the measure for your action and solve the problems of the world." Right. We need to see each other as brothers and sisters. We need to actually recognize our relationship to those people. I mean, they're just human beings having a, a challenging experience. And um, it's it's really heartbreaking. You know, when I've been in San Francisco and I've seen how serious the problem is there, it, it is really heartbreaking. It's hard to imagine how, how miserable and difficult it must be to not have a roof over, over your head. Yes. I wonder if you'd like to talk about the Project Homeless Connect, because you were involved with that for a long time. And yes. I asked Ben about kind of the personality and the soul of San Francisco, um, using the, the, the idea of the seven rays. And he said, well, San Francisco has a seventh ray soul because the seventh ray is very strong. This idea of this patterning of bringing in new ideas and making them manifest on the physical plane. But it's got a second ray personality, which is the idea of love and wisdom. So it's a very compassionate city. Um, at, at the level of healthcare and trying to reach out. I mean, these problems, San Francisco is a magnet city for people um, around the world coming to some ideal place. Um, you know, ever since the flower children, mm -hmm. um, it's projected this idea of, you know, when you come to San Francisco, wear a flower in your hair type of thing, and you can't go any farther. The Golden Gate becomes like an ideal place and you can't go any farther of course because that's the pacific ocean so there's a migration of certain people right. to san francisco so it's, it's probably i guess san francisco has the biggest budget for health and human services per capita than any city in the united states and you know hospital services um, psychiatric services and social services um, different types of, of programs for feeding people those type of programs are run by the churches which is like glide memorial and saint anthony's which are well known around, even around the country, people have heard of St. Anthony's Dining Hall. So in 2004, the mayor at that time, Gavin Newsom, who's now the governor of California, said that he felt that the city services were too scattered um, around and needed to be put in one place. This kind of dawned on him where he was walking to work because the city hall where he was working is only a few blocks from the Tenderloin area where a lot of the homeless people and the people who are down and out hang out. And so he came to this realization of having to step over these people on the streets on his way to work, that there's got to be some way to 
to, to do the, our job better because we've got all these services, but they're not reaching people. And it turns out that if you have to go to a lot of different appointments to get your services, and it takes days to get there, and you have to fill out paperwork, that a lot of people just give up. They don't take advantage of these things. So they just remain on the streets. Yeah. So he started off by having the people who were in the buildings move their desks out onto the streets <laughs> to uh, to give the services so people didn't even have to. They could see that there's somebody there who's offering services of a certain type, and they could come and just – they wouldn't have to go anywhere. They could just go right up to the, the desk on the street. So then um, – that seemed to be uh, interesting. And then they wanted to try it again. But what happened was that a lot of the friends of the people who worked wanted to come out and help. <laughs> so they started to get a following. Wow. Okay. So the people who worked for the city doing these services had their friends and family come out to try to help out too. <laughs> so that got so wow. that got so big that by the wow. third time, they, they, they had to take it indoors to a central location where they could have a lot of space. And it ended up at the Bill Graham Auditorium, which is very famous because all the famous rock and roll groups, you know, from many years would all go to the Bill Graham Auditorium, right. which would seat thousands of people. And so they took over Bill Graham Auditorium. And the city did not pay for the actual, with the way it worked out, is that the city would pay the salaries of the people. Normally, and it was their jobs. They would have their jobs. But the jobs were moving into this large space. And so they would take a space that was like a hundred basketball courts and put them into various locations, whatever their services were. And then they would have a place for people to volunteer and come and be escorts and help out in volunteer ways. And so by the third time they did this, because this was associated with this California Institute of Integral Studies, they became involved uh, at some point. And so that's why I heard about it. And I went and started volunteering um, when they had this first event. So I had been volunteering there um, up until Basically, they stopped doing this big public event when the COVID vaccine, you know, the COVID virus came in, and they started doing public events. So that was probably over a period of fifteen years or so. And I was there, maybe for a total of you know sixty of them. They they would probably have five or six a year. Um, sometimes they would go out to um, the Golden Gate Park, for example, where there was a lot of drug addicts hang out, or they would go to. Um, parts of San Francisco that had a lot of uh, black and Hispanic neighborhoods where people couldn't have easily transportation and so on. So they would do also ones that were in more smaller ones. They're in remote locations. But for the most part, um, the, the big ones were down at, uh, at Bill Graham Auditorium in the Civic Center. Um, so they would offer, for example, they would try to keep track of people by having them log, you know, come in and fill out a questionnaire. You know, you're birth date and your social security number and your name and age and um, some of your background information um, and what your what services that you would like. You know, obviously one of the big ones for people was eyeglasses, believe it or not. People are always losing their glasses on the streets. Right. But then they didn't really have any way to get eye. Huh? I was just going to say that actually I remember when you invited me to, to participate one year when I was visiting and uh, I did the intake. And that was really an incredible experience because I spoke to a lot of people yeah. I would otherwise never have a chance to talk to and learn about their situation. And it was uh, very humbling and um, also moving, a very moving experience. Right. Well, I, I to, think Maitreya, uh, understand the plight Maitreya better was behind this project. Some of these people. Uh, I know it because I've, I've yeah. had a number of encounters um, around this homeless connect, both with Maitreya and especially when they're teaming up with the Master Jesus. They a lot of times they go together, <laughs> so uh, there was a lot of yeah, yeah. experiences, you know, through that 
but um, I think that that was maybe it's it's been said that sometimes um, it's as important for the people to get the services as it is for the volunteers and for the people there to have the experience of the homeless people because it like your experience was of it cuts right through yeah. to meet this person and to meet their story, you know, and everybody's got a story. Yes, yes, everybody's got a story, and it just. I mean, whatever you believe about what is going on and why people are on the on the street, um, whatever story you you assume about someone, when you hear the true stories of people, when they come and they tell you what their situation is, or uh, because one of the questions on the intake was, "Where are you sleeping? You know, what is your what is your situation?" And this is another reason why they did this. Apparently, was to collect data so they could understand better. Right. How are people getting by and what are they doing? Are they sleeping on someone's couch? Are they sleeping in a car? Are they sleeping on the street? Are they sleeping at there are these coupons that they could get to sleep in certain motels uh, or hotels in the city? So, um, yeah, they were trying to sort of assess what what's helping and what's not helping and what are people actually doing? How, what is their experience? Um, but it just was uh, really quite an, an amazing experience. These are people I would otherwise really have no contact with. Yeah. And um, it just opens your heart in this very deep way, very, very meaningful experience. I wish more cities would do something like this, right, you know. Right. Well, I know with COVID it makes it hard, but yeah. yeah. Well, it became a model. Um, you go through the the first thing that people come in and they go through this process of have the intake where you sit down with someone and they get all your information and so on because they're trying to track this all goes in, it went into a computer, and so they were keeping track of, of people and their situations and so on. And they also have to give back the results to see, is this making any difference? So that was the thing when you get through at the end, right. you go out, and the question was, did you get what you came for? You know, something like that, or was this any help to you? So people would... Um, right, there's an exit. there was an exit interview. Yeah, yeah. Right. So... Um, People would go through and get things like, even if they, they can't give you eyeglasses, you could get an appointment to have your eyes examined and to get the possibilities. You have to have a prescription. So you have to have an optometrist to give you an eye exam. So that was a challenge to be able to line up enough people to... Eventually, they got some, some colleges that had optometry schools to come in and do some volunteer work and get the equipment. It took a number of years you know, where I just kept seeing this over and over again where everybody wanted glasses and there was no glasses. You could get reading glasses, you know, and they would sit you and they would measure you for, there was no long, you know, long distance. You could, so that was, you don't realize how critical your eyesight is for people, but then um, they would have um, the um, health and human services would have their doctors come in and give you all all sorts of medical exams if you needed them. Um, And drug addiction, they had, Right, they had AIDS testing, HIV testing, uh, instant testing where you could get results right right there. Um, And dental was another hard thing because every they had dentistry, uh, right? Eventually, they they worked out with uh, some services for dental, or you could get appointment to come in and and have some dental. People on the streets have terrible teeth, you know. Um, So the well, but there was also there was also veterinary care that was impressive. Yes. People would bring their animals. Many, their many dogs, people on the streets are so they had veterinary they care. Have, they have animals, especially you know some animal that helps give them some kind of comfort. You know, and they had when you would come yeah. in, they would have pet services so that somebody would take care of your dog while you were going through the line. 
So, so the various yeah. medical and things. The, but there was, I mean, you, there were places you could get your hair cut. Yes. You could get your hair cut. You could get, you could get some books. You could mm. take a shower. You could have podiatry. Yes. There, there was just huge array. I'm mean, chiropractic, a huge array of services. Job, that just job counseling. Um, you could get a free telephone call anywhere That's in the country. Right. Yeah. Oh, legal counseling. Legal counseling. Everybody's yeah, on the streets have warrants too. from the police for, mm-hmm. for homelessness, you know, um, there were family services right. for people, you know, special programs for people that had kids. Um, you could have your picture taken. You could have. They had interviews for, for you know, like the stories that people could could tell, and they would have different people maybe make up TV show about people's stories on the interview. I mean, job counseling. Also, big one is like Social Security or SSI, the Supplemental Security. You know, that people don't know how to get, or it's too difficult to go through all the oh, paperwork. Yeah. Um, how to how to get a job somewhere? Right. Medicare, Medicare, right. Medical, uh, whatever right. those things are. Um, yeah. All the things that people take for granted. People living on the street have no address. Right. Um, eventually, there was a company which got them free cell phones with a minimal, you know, amount. I mean, these things over a period of fifteen years, things developed. You know, as companies um, were. Right. donating their services or accounts of various types. Then at the kind of the end, they'd have a free sit-down meal where you get a box lunch and you could sit down at the table and have a meal and they would services would come out and bring you bring you a hot meal. Uh, people don't get hot meals a lot yeah. on the streets. Yeah. So. I recall that also Whole Foods was like providing a bag of groceries for people as they were exiting. Yes, not, yes exactly. It was, it was the food bank. Yeah. So the food bank would always come up with a big truck right. okay. full of boxes of food and they put them out and people could get some food. Not all these things were always available, but um, another thing is the hygiene kit. People would always get a hygiene kit on the way out, you know, a little toothbrush right. and toothpaste. Right. That type of thing. That's right. Yeah. Um, so trying to get shampoo, shampoo, shampoo yeah. right. Um, all the possible things that we might think people would could need, you know, that the city could provide some help with. And a lot of things were donated. Um, the, there were, thousand volunteers that would come in, right. you know, from various corporations. They'd have like a service day in one of the big corporations where they could get a day off and go out and help somewhere. We'd get groups of people from Bank of America or some, you know, corporation come in. Um, and that really uh, was important for them. The people really began to realize how significant it was to be able to interact with, with those people. It was very uplifting. The energy around Almost Connect was just incredible. So, yeah, so that's another yeah. example of how the masters help. And I had a number of experiences uh, doing. Can you remember books. any specific? Uh, yeah. yeah, when there were um, we were doing the book table. Books were very popular. Um, we would have thousands of books out, and at the end, they'd all be gone except for one type of book. There was one category of book that that was never never takes. Can you imagine what that is? Uh, no. <laughs> Romance novels. The pulp. Oh, romance pulp novels. Romance oh, novels. Funny. You get a lot of those donated. No, nobody would touch them. No, nobody wanted them. No, 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 no interest. No. Every other book, the Bibles That's were very funny. popular. Bibles were always going. So the, yeah. one, of the, one event that happened was I remember setting up, because um, I would do a lot of setups of various things. Um, and one time I was setting up books in one part of the building. Uh, we would get in there hours before the doors opened to start doing setups. And um, somebody had donated several boxes of brand new Bibles. And so I was setting them out on the table. And, you know, maybe 50, 50 boxes, 50 in a box of these Bibles. And there was a black man who came in and he, and he sat down next to me. And he says, you know, um, I was the person who was sitting behind Gavin Newsom when he was giving this talk. And I put this idea in his mind of Homeless Connect. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's one of the homeless people who looked like a homeless person wow. who wandered in, you know, when I was putting out the Bibles, uh, yeah. you know, a down and out homeless yeah. person. So it sounds like a classic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I was doing the exit interview. I was in, in the area of the exit interview at Homeless Connect. Yeah. And my job was to slow down the traffic a little bit and interact with the people as they came out with all of their handfuls of things right. as they were leaving and encourage them to sit with people to talk at an exit interview um, about their experience and ask them, did you find everything that you came for? Yeah. And then I would ask them, would you be willing to have a conversation with this person about your experience? And then um, they would get a hygiene kit right. if they sat down with people. And so my job was because a lot of people were coming through the doors all at once, and I'd have to kind of slow down everybody a little bit. And there was a, a man who came out, a young man, who looked like he couldn't be more than in his 20s, mid-20s, kind of wondered what he was doing there. He was tall, and he was very sweet, very pleasant, nice person. And he looked at me, and he, he said something very funny that I didn't get at the moment, because I had a name tag on yeah. And he said to me, where's your fur, Elisa? Yes, <laughs> yes. And it took me a while. It took me a while to get what he was talking about. But right. that's he was making a reference to Furelisa by Schubert, oh, which is uh, you know a, a famous famous song. Beethoven, yeah, but, oh Beethoven, sorry, Beethoven, exactly. And so uh, I it took me a while. I, I just looked at him, sort of confused, like I'm not sure what he's talking yes. about. And then I went over when he was having a really raucous conversation with the woman that he was sitting down across from doing this exit interview. And I went back over to him and I said, I get it now, you know, yes. but uh, it took me a while. Like, where's your fur? Yes. <laughs> he probably had a little fourth ray himself. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, that seventh ray mm -hmm. is going to bring you a special pattern yeah. relationships and the organization of the, of the services. Everything is interconnected in terms of these health and human services that we have in San Francisco. And to be able to get the organization of, of the volunteers, for example, to get everybody to have a place where they could all come together to do this and to have a budget like San Francisco has, you know, billion dollar budget for health and human services yeah. and for the, the medical uh, establishment for the, the big hospitals that we have in San Francisco that are run by the city, San Francisco General. So the interest is there, but... Um, you know, we still need to have allocate the resources and organize these types of services for various cities. But this is like the prototype. You know, once you enough people know how yeah, it's done, exactly. um, you can replicate this anywhere. Okay. The patterns from hierarchy are there, you know, for how to do things. Um, but what are the forces? Of right. It's just the will often that's not. Yeah. And the people don't realize how important you can do negative things with organization and positive things with organization. <laughs> Bring through new patterns. Right. So organization is a pattern of some kind. Okay. So this is one thing that happened to us. So this was Monday, June the 12th, 2006. We had started doing the, what I guess is now called the New Earth Expo, or now they call it the Psychic Fair in Sacramento. And Francie and I set up the booth and had the table, you know, it was a small booth with a, with a, you know, eight foot table and some chairs and all the normal Sarah International material books and flyers and so on out on the front. And a man came by, um, he was maybe six foot three <laughs> and he, um, he said his name was Robert and he was, he used to be a farmer. He was a farmer, I guess he said now, or used to be a farmer. And he started telling us about uh, some of his backstory. Um, he had been a developer. He had built houses in the area around Sacramento because housing was really needed. And then he um, talked about being a farmer and how, how important farmers were. 
Um, and he said, you know, we want to feed you. And then he said, and I talked about stories and earlier in his life, he was from the South Bay. Some of these stories got a little odd. Um, he said that he and his wife were living in Mexico and they, to make some money, they started raising St. Bernard puppies and they would um, take them out <laughs> on parades and have them pull little carts and, 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 and do, um, you know, ha- I don't know, have, have these puppies all in various configurations in, in public where they were part of a parade or something. Um, and he um, said, you know, it's very difficult being a farmer nowadays. Farmers are not making, making ends meet. Um, but one new area that's opening up where they can make a little money on the side is through taking some of their corn and turning it into ethanol. So the ability okay. to, you know, from be aware that the ecological issue with gasoline, um, you can cut it with ethanol and have less fossil fuel emissions, you know, by, by turning their corn. And so that farmers yeah. have some of their land that's not being used for anything or they can't get any get enough money to make it if they're just growing corn. So he said, this looks like a real important thing for farmers, but we really want to feed you. He kept saying, we want to feed you. Um, and so he um, sat down next to me and um, was just still. And I was sitting down in the other chair and I suddenly, I began to feel this energy that um, became like a pressure of energy that was coming down on my head and all around. And it became so intense that I almost couldn't stand it anymore. And um, I didn't say anything, but I just sat there through this, this thing of this energy coming through. And I'm assuming that was, had some purpose to it at the time. So anyway, after all this was done after, you know, several hours of being there, um, it wasn't really well attended, but but he spent half an hour at least in our booth, just sitting there. (laughs) The next day, so Francia was had a subscription to the Chronicle. So on Monday, the twelfth, which is the day after, um, we got this front page article in the Chronicle from uh, a man named Doug Roberts, who was a farmer, uh, Warren Township, Illinois. Now, this guy Roberts said that his he originally came from uh, like like what like Wisconsin, something something like that you know, Illinois or Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, maybe it was Minnesota. Anyway, it was some in that area there next to the Great Lakes where he originally was doing some farming. So the, the headline is, this is the picture of um, Doug Roberts, a farmer in Warren Township, Illinois, sells corn to an ethanol processing co-op. He uses feed that <laughs> as a byproduct of ethanol production. So got this on the head, the, the front page of the Chronicle, and we immediately said, "Whoa!" (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. (laughs) Um, You know, there he was from this. He wasn't from Illinois, but he was from next to Illinois, as I recall. From like that's why I thought it was Wisconsin or Minnesota. But we always remember the Saint Bernard puppies. Yeah, that's very cute. Um, So you know, we never considered writing it up or anything, but it's just another example of something that happens. When you do these outreaches, you get a number of unusual experiences. Yes. So another thing that happened, Lynn and Francie and I were sitting at one of these psychic fairs in San Jose. And this guy comes over and sits down. And this was just after I had read the book Mountains Beyond Mountains. Do you remember that book? Oh, that's Paul Farmer. Yes, it's Paul Farmer. So my brain was full of kind of the the history of Haiti back to how it got started. 
when the French were there and just the, the very difficult history of the slaves. And anyway, so um, this guy comes down, he says, oh, I don't know I'm, I'm a doctor and I live in Chicago, but I was originally from Haiti. And so he starts, I didn't bring this up about, oh, wow. about Paul Farmer or anything. Um, and he starts telling us all these stories about the history of Haiti. So he says he's a doctor in Chicago and his name is Maximo Gaia. Says on his card, Maximo Gaia. Mm-hmm. So, what does Maximo stand for? Maximilian. That's great. That's a great name. <laughs> Maximo Gaia. And I said, "Is stand for Maximilian?" And he says, "No, it stands for maximum." Maximum. maximum. That's good. <laughs> so, Maximo. Yeah, Maximo. Okay. Now. And Gaia was his last name, like G A I A. Gaia, yeah. as in Earth. Yeah. Oh this wow! Is his picture? But down at the bottom of the card. It says world photography. And he's got a website on here called maximogaia.com. So if you go if you go into Google and you go maximogaia.com, there actually is a website that exists from this okay. young guy who is a photographer, who's a world photographer. Okay. And so if you can pull that up, you can see these very striking images. Um and on his website, he's got a link to his his interest, and he has another website that's part of this about tea. So if you go to his tea website, you can see a picture of him. And he's a guy who is a white guy who might be 40 years old. And these uh, amazing pictures from around the world. Now, this is the person who was in the booth. But this is not... But it doesn't look like the, the guy, guy at all. Maximo Gaia. Right. Now, yeah. okay. the fact that okay. we have Maximo Gaia, world photography, but he said he was a doctor from Chicago. Now, we ha- must have talked for half yeah. an hour, this guy just re- regaling us with his stories that yeah. he had. Maybe an hour, Francia says. At the very end, Francia said, well, what kind of a doctor was he? Well, I, I went around the room. He was still there. I asked him, what kind of a doctor were you? And he said, I was an anesthesiologist. And then Francia said, well, that's interesting. Wow. <laughs> I, when I was young, I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. <laughs> so oh, That's interesting. So really interesting. This might have been a picture that was on the Maximo Gaia website of a guy from Haiti. Okay. One of his world pictures from world photography. Mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't find him like that. But this was the, the yeah. person who came yeah. to our booth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, that's okay. when you have a physical piece of evidence. That's really something interesting. Very odd. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Wow. That's very, very cool. Yeah, it's hard to s- So do you remember the conversation that you had with him? Uh, yeah, it was about Haiti. About? He was a very energetic. Yeah, he was you know, t- telling his life story about things. and Very interesting. Oh, yeah. He was very interested, very interesting, uh, very dynamic, um, just full of energy, just giving, pouring, pouring out energy. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that was kind of curious. Something struck me last night about getting ready for the show, about going and looking at the card again. I pulled out the card and it was Maximo. I remember his name, Maximo, because we had that joke about Maximum. And then looking up Maximo Gaia, the website, and the fact that this is a website about wow. that maybe that picture was somewhere in his list of pictures of people he'd taken around the world. 
So who yeah. was this person that shows up in the booth? It's Maximo Gaia. Wow. <laughs> anyway, just another right, exactly. odd, another odd. It's a fabulous name too, of right? Course. I've never heard of, I mean, it, yeah. you got to ask if, yeah, interesting. Okay. The photographer is definitely not from Cuba right. or from, from Haiti and he's not 80 years old either. So. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all these great stories. Okay, well, thank you, Elisa. It's good to have the opportunity to kind of go back and revisit some of these things, you know, because I wouldn't have done it otherwise. You've been listening to Mystic Takeaway. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with others. Thanks for listening. Thank you.